All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Low Bar, where we get together, grab a drink, and talk about true crime. Tonight I'm drinking Death in the Afternoon, which is a combination of sparkling wine and absinthe. It was made popular by Ernest Hemingway, who is also famous for loving cats and being Florida man. You know, I had to get my dig in there. Uh, <laughs> As usual, if you're not into alcohol, please don't feel pressured. The low bar is about companionship over a shared interest, not getting plastered. So belly up to the bar, pour yourself a drink, whether it's hard or soft, and let's get down to business. That said, alcohol does play a pretty big role in tonight's story, so if you're not okay hearing about it, I'm sure not going to be offended if you want to give tonight's episode a pass. Tonight we're going to be talking about the Pickwick Club disaster. You might be thinking, well, that sounds almost funny. What's a Pickwick Club, and why does it sound like a stuffy Ivy League type place where people sit around eating odd sandwiches? Well, the Ivy League does have a connection to the site, although they tried desperately to keep it hidden for decades, and we'll have a whole separate episode to talk about that bit, because um, it's a doozy and it's sad, and it kind of makes me angry. Um, <laughs> and really, there's nothing more fun to talk about than things that make me angry. Um, <laughs> the Pickwick Club was a private music and dance hall that stood in Boston's Chinatown, and early in the morning on July 4th, 1925, it fell down. What does that have to do with crime? We'll get to that in just a moment. All right, so what happened? That's a little bit uh, simple. You know, it fell down and a little bit complicated. Um, this, the short answer is pretty simple. Uh, the building collapsed, killing 44 people and injuring plenty more. Uh, what makes things more complicated is one word. Why? Uh, to draw that out a little bit further, we can ask, was a crime committed? And yes, a crime was committed. A few crimes were committed, in fact. For one thing, the Pickwick Club was known to be a place where people gathered together to consume alcohol. And in 1925, that was illegal. America was in the throes of prohibition at this point in our history. Uh, you'd never know it to look at Boston, though. We clung tight to our drunken reputation like a drowning man clings to rope. There's a picture of a speakeasy that existed right in North Station, where the Bruins play today. And let me tell you, this was no dump, no grungy little hole, rat hole where you'd need to wash up after a visit, like you kind of think of, of a speakeasy. You know, this place was gorgeous. No expense was spared on this place. Um, and this was one of the places that they knew about. Um, I don't think that the Pickwick Club was quite so beautiful, and we'll get to the reasons for that in just a minute. But um, it was very popular, tourists knew about it, and they did have a permit and they did have an official bootlegger. Yes, official. <laughs> and yeah, that was an official permit down, filed down at City Hall and everything. Um, unless you think I'm exaggerating about the degree to which Bostonians generally gave the bird to prohibition, one of the two police officers killed in the collapse that night was there for the same reason other patrons were there, to get a drink after work. The other officer killed in the collapse was there in pursuit of a fugitive. 
um, who I believe was being pursued for a, a serious assault. But uh, both officers were buried with full honors, as if they, as if they had both died in the line of duty. Um, so, you know, nobody cared that he was there to get his drink on. Nobody. According to survivors, there was almost no warning before the collapse. Not, it should be noticed, that anyone would have noticed if there had been a warning. The band was playing the 12th Street Rag, an enormously popular song at the time, and you can still find it on YouTube and Spotify if memory serves. Um, it's a catchy little song. Um, personally, I find it a little bit distressing, knowing that it was the last sound 44 people heard right before they died, uh, but the crowd was dancing so enthusiastically and they were so happy to hear it that the band played it twice. You know, they went through the whole song once and then they started playing it again. And right in the middle of playing it for the second time, the building collapsed. Uh, some band members were killed right along with the dancers. Um, approximately half of the dead fell into the basement of the Pickwick Club along with approximately five stories worth of building materials. The rest of the victims fell into the excavation pit next door, where a building had been demolished to make room for the most modern parking garage in the world. Yeah. Alright, if we want to get to the whodunit part of our program, we need to examine the cause for the disaster. In the immediate wake of the collapse, people were perfectly certain they knew who had, what had caused the building to fall down. That's right, it had clearly caved in because the people inside were dancing the Charleston. I'll give you a second to digest that. Yeah, the Boston Globe was moralizing about the dangers of the Charleston well before the Pickwick Club trembled on its foundations. Apparently, this one dance was responsible for all the evil in the world to include promiscuity, mental illness, and cannibalism. Had the people out there on the dance floor only been performing decorous ballroom dances, preferably with plenty of room for the Holy Spirit between them, the club would never have collapsed. Now, it's entirely possible that media outlets of the time, along with our great-grandparents and all scientific evidence, have somehow conspired to conceal evidence of cannibalism among Boston's Catholic, Jewish, and Black communities, I'm not so sure any of those sources could have managed to conspire their way out of a sack, especially not together. But, you know, anything is possible, I guess. Oh, wait, what's that? Why am I bringing race into it? Well, Boston had three jazz clubs. Um, the Pickwick Club was the best known, and like everything else in 1925, the Pickwick Club was segregated. It was whites only, even though jazz was and is a distinctly black cultural phenomenon. And even though it was a white club, it was located in a segregated part of town, Chinatown. We know that the audience was largely Catholic and Jewish because the names, funeral services, and burial locations for the victims were all published. And those cemeteries and where the funerals were held 
these were all Catholic or Jewish cemeteries and uh, places of worship. Um, you know, Protestants don't really tend to have facilities that are like Saint Perpetua of the the Holy Whatever. <laughs> This brings us back to the globe and its finger wagging, blaming victims for their immorality and causing their own deaths. Institutions such as the globe, along with the banks, the schools, etc., were primarily managed and owned by the city's old guard Protestant elite. One of their favorite hobbies was to turn up their noses at the morals and behavior of more recent immigrants, specifically Catholic immigrants. Um, Fortunately for everyone involved, except for maybe that same old guard, normal people had a champion in the form of Mayor Curley. If you've ever listened to the Mighty Mighty Bostones, or somehow managed to survive the late 90s, you at least have some idea who Mayor Curley was. Before I started doing the research for this project, I was kind of ambivalent about him because it's a fact that he was corrupt as hell. I mean, he was sometimes elected from prison. <laughs> of course, you didn't think that a guy like him, son of an immigrant and a Catholic immigrant at that, was going to rise to a position like his during that time in our country's history and our city's history without getting his hands dirty, did you? He was elected to Boston's Board of Aldermen in 1904 while actually serving a prison sentence for fraud. He served several prison terms, some of which he served while also serving as mayor. He also enlarged Boston City Hospital, now Boston Medical Center. He developed recreational facilities in normal people parts of the city and expanded public transit. Mayor Curley came from a poor Irish family and these were the people he championed. Upper-crust Protestants were still in control of the institutions like the banks, and they tried to impede him in his quest to improve the lives of normal people around Boston by denying the city financing. So he'd turn around and send in inspectional services. Funny how those buildings always fa failed those inspections, huh? And the average Bostonian loved him. They kept re-electing him he fought for them, and his behavior around the Pickwick Club disaster is a perfect example of why. When he found out about that disaster, he went directly to the site. He determined he was going to find out why it happened. He wasn't going to rest until everybody trapped in the rubble was brought out. Nobody was going to rest until everybody trapped in the rubble was brought out. No expense was spared, and he personally negotiated between different unions and different groups within the city to get the job done. And then he ordered the entire building torn down so that nothing was left of it, not even half a brick. No one was going to profit on the graves of those who had died, most of whom came from working-class Catholic and Jewish families. The space where the building stood is now a ghastly glass and aluminum office building. I'd go inside and poke around, but they frown on that these days. Um, in case you're wondering why I keep on harping on the religion 
of the people involved, the Protestant elites, the Catholic and the Jewish normal people. Um, today, Bostonians are about as religious as my cat. You know, you have a, you have a few people who kind of care. They'll show up to church on Sunday or like maybe show up around when they're planning a wedding. But as a general rule, the average Bostonian isn't particularly religious right now. Back a hundred years ago, people still kind of observed those lines, although they were still significantly less religious than they were in other parts of the country. Um, and it was more like a an identifier, a cultural identifier, than it was a serious undertaking, I suppose. I mean, obviously there were some people who took religion very seriously, but again, not like in other parts of the country, it was really more of a, a group identifier. Um, yeah, and it's still, I've still run into this in some circles that I've encountered. Um, so, you know, that's why I keep on pointing it out because it mattered to these people, the people that we're talking about, not because I personally really have much interest. <laughs> so anyway, um, there was a trial and no one was found guilty, probably because there wasn't any one person to blame. Uh, there was no one that you could point a finger at and say, okay, this person's negligence caused the club to fall in. This person personally, you know, sabotaged the club. This person, you know, allowed too many people in. There was no, there was nothing like that. Um, I know we as a society today don't like it when that happens. And funnily enough, it wasn't the people dancing the Charleston who did it. Um, it was a combination of factors, none of which would have been able to cause the problem on its own. The building in which the Pickwick Club was housed was in a five-story building, and the club was on the second floor. Uh, previously, up until I think March of that year, there had been a garment workshop on the third floor, uh, but it caught fire. And this was a common occurrence in clothing factories during this period. Um, you've got a lot of little microscopic scraps of very dry fabric and thread in the air. People smoked a lot. They caught fire. It happens. Um, the fire ended up burning a hole up through the roof, which is awkward. Um, what do you do when you've got a hole in your roof? You fix it? Nah. You stick a tarp on it. Or as we say in Boston, tap. No. <laughs> My daughter's yelling at me from the other room. Um, this was just as true in 1925 as it is today. The problem with that is that Boston is a very windy city. 
it's windier than Chicago. We were just too busy defending our title as the drunkest city to fight for the title of the Windy City. Um, I don't even own an umbrella. It's pointless here. So um, what happens when the wind blows the tarp off the hole in your roof? Right. So this was a known issue. Um, the people running the Pickwick Club, the people who owned the club, wound up installing a trap door in the dance floor for drainage. I'm not making this up. It's well documented. Um, and they talked to the building owners about safety concerns, but the landlord told them that it was fine, said he'd talk to an engineer. Um, and the club owners took the guy's word for it. These weren't structural engineers. They were no different than their working class patrons. They were normal guys. They had day jobs, like delivering eggs. Um, maybe they suspected that something was a little bit sketchy, but they still were normal guys, and they were going to defer to the engineer. Um, the other contributing factor here is the Chinatown neighborhood itself. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Ch Boston's Chinatown. Uh, certainly the older buildings down there are really packed in tight. In fact, to some extent, they were designed that way. Uh, one building was expected to help support the next. Um, the problem is that the building next to the Pickwick Club, like I mentioned before, had been demolished. Um, the foundations were being excavated to build something new. Uh, a parking garage. The most modern parking garage the world had ever seen. Yeah, the world was changing all around them. Um... You know, not long before, there weren't enough cars on the road to need a parking garage, never mind the most modern parking garage the world had ever seen. Um, <laughs> um, the property, again, like I mentioned, belonged to someone separate from the owners and managers of the Pickwick Club. Um, they tried... And these were all separate from the people who owned the building next door, uh, which was now a hole in the ground. Um, the excavation work wound up undermining the foundations for the building in which the Pickwick Club stood. They tried to work with the Pickwick Club building owners to shore up that building, um, which was more than they were, were required to do at the time. They didn't have to do as much as they did. Um, but unfortunately, it seems like they underestimated what, how much mitigation was needed. And the ultimate result was, you know, a collapse. Um the club might or might not have been somewhat over capacity. Uh, different sources have different things to say about that. So I can't really say. But if it wasn't for Mayor Curley, we wouldn't know any of that. There wouldn't have been an investigation and some of the deceased would probably still be under the rubble today. It was Mayor Curley who sought the investigation. Mayor Curley who got to the bottom of all of it. 
and Mayor Curley, who ensured that recovery efforts would continue until every missing person was accounted for. And it was Mayor Curley who made sure that we used science, not superstition, to find out why the Pickwick Club fell down. All right, so what was the end result of all of this death and destruction? Did a crime actually take place? Technically, yes. The Pickwick Club was known around Boston, and even as far as New York City, as a place where a person could go to get a drink. Sometimes people would bring their own, but they also had an official bootlegger. The place was licensed as a private social club. Um, The official bootlegger was on the premises the night the place collapsed, Max Mulmott was his name, and he was found alive in the rubble and was brought to Boston City Hospital. He died of his injuries there, which made him the 44th victim of the disaster. Um, he was literally the last one to die as a result. Um, you know, obviously everybody who was there is dead now. but And if not, they're uh, very, very old. <laughs> Um, It wasn't even the first crime to take place at the Pickwick Club. It wasn't the first crime to take place at the Pickwick Club that year. The club had been raided regularly for booze uh, and prohibition, other prohibition-related offenses. Um, On February 9th, 1925, a prohibition officer was knocked unconscious by someone at the club. Uh, whether or not they used a weapon or just their fists uh, or what happened to that prohibition officer. Um, That's not recorded. I mean, obviously you don't want to see people get assaulted or permanently damaged, but prohibition was stupid. So I find it hard to, you know, really wag my finger at that one. Uh, On March 23rd of that year, someone was stabbed in the leg during a riot at the club. Apparently, riots at the club were, I guess, part of the appeal. (laughs) They happened on a regular basis, and, you know, people would... Again, we got tourists there. (laughs) People would come from New York City to visit the Pickwick Club. (laughs) Uh, There were many arrests for drunken skirmishes at the club. To include at least one arrest that night. This is separate from prohibition raids. Uh, They would have to make arrests in and outside the club for the kind of fights that still go on today. Outside of bars and nightclubs in Boston. (laughs) I'm telling you, this is just kind of who we are as a people, I guess. Um, I'm laughing because it's true. Um, There were three big jazz clubs in Boston, um, or at least three jazz clubs that catered to white people. Uh, I've heard rumors of some others that um, came from locals who lived through this period, um, who would have known about others, but I didn't write them down at the time, and those people are no longer with us, so don't quote me on those. You had the Pickwick Club, and the Phalanx, and the Lambs Club. None of them were still operating by the time the clock ticked over into 1926. 
uh, I think that only the Pickwick Club was the one in, in involved catastrophe uh, with regards to their closure. Um, either way, people wound up doing their drinking in smaller establishments after that or at home. Uh, if you want to read a really awesome book about, um, not only about, but involving um, Prohibition and the end of Prohibition, I think it's called The Poisoner's Handbook. Um, it involves the development of the Office of the Medical Examiner in New York City and how that position um, was affected by and how it in turn affected Prohibition and the Repeal of Prohibition. It's fascinating reading, especially if you're a science geek. Um, prohibition still didn't take in Boston, but people did find that it behooved them to be a little bit more discreet. Um, you know, I guess so that a building didn't fall on them. Okay, I know that I've already mentioned that the Pickwick Club has been the location of another notorious scandal, and this one would be the Dreyfus Cafe scandal. Uh, we'll get in-depth into that one uh, another day. Um, that one definitely involves something that was a crime at the time. Um, the building in which the Pickwick Club stood happens to have sat between two other murder sites in Chinatown uh, that took place about 90 years apart. <laughs> Back in 1907, two groups engaged in a specific type of organized crime exploded into open warfare. This happened maybe a block away from the Pickwick Club site and resulted in four deaths. This was actually an outgrowth of a New York fight. Um, kind of gang warfare. Uh, it reached outside of the New York Chinese community and into New York politics. So, you know, why wouldn't it fly up from Boston, up from New York and ignite in Boston too? Um... I know, I know. Everyone up here is going to get all up in arms about the whole Sox Yankees thing and about New York problems becoming Boston problems. Cities don't exist in a vacuum now, and they didn't back then, um, even though they didn't have mass communication yet. Um, there are connections between municipalities that transcend state lines. And when we force people into ethnic enclaves, such as, say, Chinatowns, um, those connections get tighter. Um, Chinatown isn't just a catchy name. Segregation was a real thing. And, you know, that lasted for many years beyond the time period that we're discussing, especially here in Boston. Um, you know, so it, it does make a lot of sense for communities that are separated by geography to, to still have connections and for violence in one to kind of spread to violence in another. Um, 
if you go back up the block to the Pickwick Club and go a block in the other direction, you'll come to a site where in 1991, five men were killed. Um, and another outpouring of what appears to have been gang violence. Um, a 2006 article about that particular incident uh, claims that the site is haunted by their ghosts. Um, I'm not going to speculate about something quite so recent, um, but the area certainly does have a history of sudden death and abrupt violence. Um, I suppose that if someone was to feel a sudden chill down there, it could be from just about any of the tragedies that are linked to the land down there. Uh, Boston, for all of our tech companies and our institutions of higher learning, is very old, and it's easier to remember that in some areas than others. Then again, it could just be the wind coming off the water. I suppose that's all for me tonight. Um, I need to go find myself some more bubbly before I head off to sleep, as if the bubbles could somehow lift the debris off the people crushed by the falling walls of the Pickwick Club. This episode was a bit more of a depart was a bit of a departure for me since uh, it was more about a disaster than a murder. Um, I guess that's a point of view, though. I hope that was okay. There were still indictment indictments handed out, and plenty of blame to go around. I've just always been fascinated by this story, and uh, maybe that's because of the tragedy associated with the location, and maybe it's just because of. The difference between this and more recent nightclub disasters, like the, the ghost ship fire and the uh, the station fire. Um, have a fantastic night, stay safe, and I'll see you again next week.